Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 52 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. The podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, am on my personal journey to true Cage Nirvana to understand the greatest actor of our generation a little bit better, that's Nicolas Cage, by watching his entire filmography. How have you been? How has your week been? Uh, not bad for myself. It's been one of those weeks where you just feel a bit confused and a bit off. I came off a four-day weekend, went to work, uh, turned out I had the day off, and it was actually a five-day weekend. It's completely thrown my mojo off, um, hence why, unfortunately, this episode is uploading a little bit later than scheduled, hopefully still on the same day. I said just my, my week's been been thrown off, and my equilibrium has been absolutely shattered by the whole ruddy thing, uh, but... I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, um, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Got a haircut, which someone at work said it's now Schrodinger's haircut because I somehow look simultaneously younger and older. Uh, still like that middle-aged dad who never learnt the bass, but still really, really wants to. So that's where I am at physically, emotionally and mentally as well. Also binge-watched the fourth and final season of Castlevania. Uh, that was really good. Enjoyed that. I've been watching Invincible on Amazon and getting up to speed on that as well. Also really enjoying that. Uh, the other side news from me uh, is to keep an eye and ear out as I'll be guesting uh, imminently on the Happily Madison podcast. Uh, Jack and Josh very kindly invited me over where we talked about the absolute stink fest that was Bucky Larson born to be a star. That was tremendous fun. Had a great time over there. Um, So keep an eye out for that. Jack will be joining me in due course to talk about Kick-Ass and I have managed to coax Josh into uh, talking about Pay the Ghost. That will be coming up in due course as well. But we move on to this week's episode, episode 52, where I was joined by Charlie Vero Martin, to talk all about G-Force. Had a really, really great time talking about this film. Uh, a lot of fun. Really enjoyed me putting this episode together and hope that you will enjoy it too. Uh, all of Charlie's links and socials in the description down below. And to get the admin out of the way as ever, you can find me on Twitter at Cage underscore podcast instagram at cage rage pod and on all the usual streaming services apple google stitcher amazon pod chaser deezer iheart radio and the rest uh, if you're listening on a platform in which you can follow and leave a like and a rating please do i.e apple i.e pod chaser it helps the podcast grow uh, but with that said and done let's get into the episode it is episode 52 g-force daryl edge charlie Vero martin duh 2009 continues with the first of two voice acting roles for Cage in the family adventure comedy G-Force. 
This week, Cage stars as Speckles, a star-nosed mole and the tech-savvy brains of the G-Force, a specially trained team of guinea pigs who must prevent mad billionaire Bill Nye from taking over the world. Now, joining me this week on the journey to true Cage Nirvana to see if G-Force is a true force of nature or has just made a guinea pig's ear of itself is comedian, actor and writer Charlie Vera Martin. Charlie, how are you doing? Hello. I'm fine. Thank you for having me on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very welcome. Um, So I always like to sort of uh, start off, I guess, with the the pre-film chat in most cases, but just by asking uh, the guest, um, what are your sort of opinions on Cage? I've tried to find a way to make it sound like we don't all have some kind of sordid history with him, like he's the boogeyman who's haunted (laughs) us all collectively in our nightmares. Um, but like I say, what's what's your take on him? Where where do you stand on him as an actor? <laughs> um, he's definitely surprising. Um, I I have to admit, I've actually not seen that many Nick Cage films. And um, the one I'm most acquainted with is probably Moonstruck, uh, yeah. which I find possibly one of the most confusing films in the world. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, coming to it, my I, I went to visit my best friend. Uh, in Munich who is studying at the film school there and she uh, missed an essay deadline and her um, punishment was that she had to watch Moonstruck and write another essay on Moonstruck so I visited and she's like we have to watch this film tonight but you know it's won Oscars and stuff it's like meant to be really good and we sat and we were just like how And Nick Cage is, is I think, very full-blooded Nick Cage in that because he does a massive ranting monologue about losing his hand to Cher, um, who he hadn't met yet. It's the first time he meets Cher and he does this big rant about his hand. I'm like, it's not her fault. Um, And then (laughs) they fall in love. So that was my intro to Nick Cage. I generally know that he's a bit nuts when I've seen him do stuff. But then occasionally he pops up in things like um, Spider-Verse and is like yeah. really good in it. And I'm like, oh, that's Nick Cage. Oh. <laughs> so I think that's my opinion on Nick Cage is, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a strangely pleasant opinion that in the way like, oh, it's still surprising us even now. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's the thing about him though, because um, I think if you're not, ill like I am I decide to watch all of his films um you know I think there is the perception about him that he, you just put a script in front of him he says I'm not going to read it but I'm going to do it which basically mm-hmm. explains a lot of his 2010 films um mm-hmm. but he still does a lot of stuff that surprises people like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse um one of those roles which I think if if you'd just gone into it and didn't know the cast you wouldn't really know it was him it's a really mm-hmm. good performances um essentially just a man wearing black in a hat and obsessed with a Rubik's Cube. Um, yeah, but it's great. I think that thing you just said about he gets a script in front of him. I I agree. I think he gets a script in front of him and he tosses a coin whether to be like, I'm going to be an actor on this or I'm going to be batshit. <laughs> and, and sometimes even when he flips the coin and he gets actor, his actor instincts are still a bit batched it but <laughs> but you know he's at least still surprising and I actually think G-Force is maybe one of these films where I was surprised that I I, I enjoyed him in this film I have yeah. to say 
Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I've always said on this podcast from what a previous guest said that there are the two types of cage films, which pretty much summarizes what you said there. Um, and maybe it is at the toss of a coin how he decides what to do, uh, where it's like you get um, films that have Nicolas Cage in and there are Nicolas Cage films. And right. you know, you'll know the difference sort of when you see them, whether you're getting, um, you know, full throttle cage or the director's mm. been like, mate, for fuck's sake, come on. Um, <laughs> which, uh, I th- yeah, obviously for this one, he's putting on a, a little voice as, as a mole and we will get into that, don't you? Worry? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was someone else that I spoke to a few weeks ago, um, Jamie Allerton, who was saying maybe there's even four categories where um, they're all cocaine-related. Um, <laughs> so there's normal ones where neither Nick Cage or the filmmakers are on cocaine. There's where both Nick Cage and the filmmakers are on cocaine. One where it's just Cage, one where it's just the filmmakers. Um, <laughs> so there's there's the the four right. quadrants of cocaine uh, yeah. for Cage, which I like to think that this one was maybe just the filmmakers, if I was going to put it into one there. Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, I, I like Jamie Allerton a lot. Last time I worked with him, he was dressed as a giant whoopee cushion. Um, so I don't know if we are the best ones to judge. <laughs> but... Oh, if I'd, if I'd known this when I'd spoken to him, it would have been a completely different conversation. <laughs> oh, regret. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I think you're maybe right. My With, with this film... I have to say, I didn't enjoy the film, mm-hmm. but I actually enjoyed Nicolas Cage in it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I was surprised by that. I assumed I'm going into this. I watched um, an interview when you sent me the list of like, here are the films to choose. Mm-hmm. I like did a little digging and I found um, an interview that he'd done about this film. And I was like, oh, he's going to be nuts in this film. I'm going to watch it. But I actually think his choice has worked. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I kind of liked what he did with it. <laughs> and I think I also agree. I think the reason I didn't like this film is because I don't care about guinea pigs. Um, <laughs> I've never had one. I've never yeah. wanted one. I've never particularly liked them. And that's kind of like, what Nicolas Cage said in this interview is that, oh, I got asked if I wanted to do this guinea pig film. Do I want to play a guinea pig? And I was like, no, guinea pigs are shit. And I'm like, that's <laughs> such a Nicolas Cage answer. But it's the correct one. <laughs> well, I, I think we might have seen the same interview because I was watching one just before um, we started recording. Um, and if it was the same one we watched, uh, and the interview asked him, you know, why did you take the role of a star-nosed mole? as opposed to guinea pigs. And he said, um, and this is the point where I put my, my Nick Cage voice on. So, he said right. that, so the, the red flags start appearing here about me as a person. Um, he's like, well, I think guinea pigs are boring. They're too cute and cuddly and obnoxious. I don't want a character that makes people think, oh, how sweet. I want a character that says, I dare you to pick me up. A character with a personality, an opinion, <laughs> a purpose. Um, Very nice, Nick thank you it's about time that someone gave me a clap for that honestly so thank you you're you're welcome back charlie thank you very much um but i just love the fact that um 
in that interview, he had like the cardboard cutout of a mole behind him. In the same way as in recording, I've got a cardboard cutout behind me in yeah. this cage, so I've got no authority to judge here. But he's just putting a, like this star nurse mole has a purpose, and that's yeah. what I'm all about when I select <laughs> when I select my characters. Yeah, and so that is definitely the exact same interview I watched, and I watched, and I was like, oh, this is going to be batshit. Let's watch it. But actually. I think that was one of those, this is one of those times where he was like, I'm going to be an actor about this, but maybe went a bit hard with it because it's a mole. So it's like, (laughs) but his thought process as an act, like that's a very like, I'm an actor type thought process to be like, no, I want, I want a character of substance who has a, he is the one of the few that actually has a history in the film. And, you know, he's obviously approached it. As an actor, yeah. it's just, you know, that actor is Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of strange, though, like watching him, I, because I've, because obviously I have, I've gone down a rabbit hole of watching um, Cage and various press junkets and interviews and right. sort of Q&As and all of this. And the weird thing is, it's like, to him, these aren't like particularly strange choices from what I find. These are, um, you know, things he he will do to elevate a character to I think to mm. purposely bring a bit of bizarreness because he wants to do things differently. Um, but even with just himself in interviews, um, I find him a very affable, just nice, pleasant person. Mm. Um, I th- I think with someone who, um, obviously in my humble opinion, he sh- he should be acknowledged as the greatest actor of our generation. Um, but. It's it's in the same way. He seems very humble. Like when people ask him a question, he's you know he doesn't seem to me to do these interviews just because he's contractually obliged. Because he kind of wants to. And he likes talking about the craft mm. of things as well. Um, there was an interview I watched that he did for, I think it was a much later film called Joe, which is, and I kind of hate saying this um, because. Obviously, I adore the man, but this is one of those films that reminds people he can act. Um, and like, I hate, I hate that I have to qualify that I'm an actor. Um, but there was um, a lady in the audience that asked him a question, and so she asked the question all that, and she, and she like added at the end, it's like, oh, I just wanted to let you know that, um, you know, I've I've stayed out here an extra day just to come to this Q and A just to ask you a question. Like, I've actually missed my flight. But then he was just like, um. Oh, like you stay there. I'm gonna you know, get you to talk to my people, and we're gonna sort a flight out for you and pay for you to get home. Oh, see, so that's he's a, nice. He's, he's a genuinely, he's a good dude. He's a good egg, um, yeah. which I like about him. Um, I suppose that leads me to a sort of side question of um, with Cage. He's one of those people that we don't know a lot about in like his personal life. He keeps himself quite private, like his personal life, his politics and stuff. Um, have you heard sort of any of the stories about Cage or is he a bit of an enigma to you outside of films? Um, no, I haven't. I'm afraid I, I didn't do that much research. Absolutely fine. <laughs> but like, I feel when any if anyone were to tell me anything about Nicolas Cage, I'd believe it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people yeah. say, oh, I don't know about that. It's like, you could tell me a story like that. It's like, oh, he just bought a random woman a plane ticket home and I'd be like oh that's nice or you could say he wrestled a bear and I'd be like yeah all right (laughs) well strap in for this um (laughs) this is not a podcast for bears by the way um so he is um like I think I said earlier sort of off record he's a bit of like a Bigfoot character because these sort of stories pop up about him and it gets to the point like what you said there if you just said oh Nicolas Cage did 
insert family guy random scenario generator here like you mm. wouldn't you wouldn't question it you wouldn't bat an eyelid um the one that i didn't realize um was in 2009 actually same year as this film came out um he actually turned on the christmas lights in bath in the, in england what i know um i i had a friend of mine who went to university in bath that year and oh. wasn't at the turn on but he sort of told me and i was like uh box didn't happen that's a lie uh, but you can youtube this it very much <gasps> happened um because on the back of that he's actually like a massive anglophile he loves like the, the history of england the culture oh, right um i think he's got a house in bath um Aww. glastonbury because he came here at one point to pursue the holy grail um oh god <laughs> do you think wait has nicholas cage ever done any jane austen do you think that's what he's angling for like being in <laughs> maybe maybe i mean could I, you I, imagine <laughs> <laughs> yes um i mean like I, me personally i'm not the biggest fan of sort of periods stuff or period drama but no no if you had the cage equation yeah. in there like if you took say something recent on Netflix like Bridgerton and you threw Cage in that oh, and I'd he's just that. and he's just raw dogging bachelorettes in fields, <laughs> yes, <laughs> sign me up yeah, for that. I I mean I certainly I I've like talked about this on stage before as Jane Austen, uh, telling people to stop making films of Jane Austen. We've got too many. We've got too much. There's there are other books. Um but I agree if the if Nick Cage were being Mr. Bingley or Mr. Darcy, I'd be he'd make a good um oh who's the one that's the cad that runs away with his sister. I mean that sounds like classic Cage without knowing I think, the name. I think Cage would I think Cage would rock that. Or when he's older, I could see him playing like the dad in Pride and Prejudice or something. Oh, maybe. I mean, even now I this like that's sort of like a, a belly me going, Mr. Cage, I do declare. Like, <laughs> yeah. I I would I'm not an actor. I you know, I scrape to see in GCSE drama, but I would lobby for the love interest role for that. I would go to acting schools. I would do everything it takes to get on that fast track to uh, uh, being an absolute love interest for Cage. But then knowing Nick Cage, he'd turn up and be like, I want to wear a bonnet and like be play one of the women or something. (laughs) Yeah, he'd basically say, um, you know, this is all just the road for him to doing a a shot for shot remake with him in the Nutty Professor as all the clumps. Uh, And be like, yes, (laughs) give the people what they want. Oh, Nick Cage would certainly, uh, if he's an Anglophile, he'd want to do a Kind Hearts and Coronets um, remake. Could you imagine? I mean, Alec Guinness, Nick Cage. (laughs) They're just so alike. (laughs) It's a good thing I've got a glass of water because I need a minute to cool down. (laughs) Um, But that would Uh, be lovely. But Bill Murray's another one who's got, he's... Like, if you told me Bill Murray had turned on the lights in Bath, I'd be like, yeah. Like, he's got a lot of those kind of stories, too. Um, yeah. Like, when I was at uni, um, I was at St. Andrews, and I remember hearing a story that he was there golfing or something, and he just turned up, like, at some student's house party and did all the dishes. And I'm like, yeah, Bill Murray did that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, well, Nick Cage would probably do that, too. <laughs> God, I've said it before, but, like, 
if I'm, I'm about to take a slightly dark turn, if Nicolas Cage turned up on my doorstep and was like, Daryl, I need your blood. I'd just be like, yes, <laughs> yes, master. And oh, then God. Just, <laughs> and just um, because, you know, that's where my life's gone in lockdown, uh, mm-hmm. that I'd sacrifice myself to Nicolas Cage. Um, but there was other sort of notable ones where, and this sort of explains why in the 2010s, especially, there was a lot of like direct-to-video films and a lot of guff. It was a bit of a, tricky rocky decade for cage right. um he'd used basically his wealth and bought dinosaur bones um <laughs> to put up in one of his houses um long story short basically turned out that those bones were not for sale uh they were still the property of a museum so he had to give him back uh and basically his accountant kind of screwed him over so um he had to do a lot of guff sort of after wow. this um so I think, I mean, this sort of period of, of Cage here, with one or two exceptions, sort of marks a period where he was doing a lot more uh, family-friendly films mm. um, because he because he's he's an actor that sort of comes in um, stages, periods, I guess, because you never know what he's going to do. This was sort of a family-friendly centric area for him. Uh, but actually touching back to when you mentioned Moonstruck, um, so he won a lot of attention, a lot of awards. Um, I liked it i didn't love it i i sort of you know nothing against Cher. i don't understand why everyone was so obsessed with the film when it came yeah. out she and won f- best actress she won an oscar like yeah what? it's it's like <laughs> I, I, don't, still- I don't want to hate on Cher because i love Cher, but she's like she is the main character in two of my favorite um wor- like best worst films so one being <laughs> yeah. moonstruck and the other being burlesque, which is like I think one of the best worst films, and they both have Cher, and I just I wouldn't want Cher to dislike me. I don't want to talk shit about Cher, but <laughs> it's how I feel about those films. <laughs> I think this um, sort of going back to what we discussed way back when we were sort of emailing about the podcast, and mm. you said maybe I should do a Cher podcast. Yes, I think you should. <laughs> I think I think you've got an angle. You've got questions that need answers. Um, yeah rolling in our respective journeys and it's like the uh, seven degrees of bacon everyone acts with cage at some point um <laughs> but it's like i say it's obviously he rants he has that wooden hand and then he just seems to pick her up and throw her around a kitchen and just make love to her it's very it's, odd um it's, I, so, it's so good but it's like what is happening <laughs> it's like I even now enjoy it yeah i mean like i said it, it's good i didn't hate it but even now i still don't really know what happened yeah i'm, I'm still very confused about what moonstruck was um but this <laughs> so even true. sort of goes into um sort of the 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 periods of cage and what you never know what he's going to do because uh, that came out in 87 just before that he did sort of the a very early coen brothers film raising arizona Mm. um then he did moonstruck so he had like a fair bit of attention uh but after this he did and when you sort of talk about best worst films he did a film called um if this rings any bells vampire's kiss um i don't know that oh oh charlie do i have things to tell you it sounds Um, like my sort of film though if it's like a a great bad film like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those that it's become a cult cla- uh, cult cage classic. And when we I sort of talk about peak cage films, uh, this is up there, along with sort of the remake of The Wicker Man that he did in um, 2006. <laughs> um, basically, the plot is he's um, a literary agent who 
um, is looking for, and this is a really thin plot, by the way. So I'm, I'm, I am and am not doing it justice by describing it. Um, he's literally agent who's looking for a contract for a client. Now I stress in the film, the client repeatedly says, "No big deal." So it's not a pressured thing. Okay. And then one point when he's brought a woman back to his flat, um, a bat flies in, bites him. And for the rest of the film, he thinks he's turning into a vampire. Um, and then he just increasingly becomes more aggressive and awful to his assistant, Elva. Um, if you've ever seen memes or clips of Nicolas Cage, um, if you've ever seen the clip of him reciting the alphabet and screaming it, um, yeah. that's where that comes from. There's a lot of prime meme real estate that comes from that. Um the most not one is the meme of his face where he's kind of um, sat behind a desk and he's just pulling a face. He's got the biggest bug eyes. Um, oh, is that from that? Yes. Right. The reason for that, as an actor, he just wanted to see how big he could get his eyes. <laughs> Genuine fact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a batshit. That's when he was like, I'm just going to be batshit on this film. Yeah, like, that's uh, basically he was just taking his acting style to a sort of a new wow. method level. Um, that was one we're in the script because as part of his metamorphosis, his transformation into a vampire, um, his personality and lifestyle change. He's just in the script supposed to crack open and just eat like a raw egg, just like an egg yolk, um, which is like, but okay, you know, people doing bodybuilders and that. Uh, Cage caged it right up and instead ate a live cockroach. Um, Exactly. Um, So you find me any actor that's more committed to a role. Um, but he has since in interviews said it's one of his personal top five films that he's done um, because it, he could push himself and basically do whatever the fuck he wanted um, because even on the director's commentary the director was like I don't know what this is <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so is that I, one of the ones where he was on cocaine and the director wasn't you think yes I think right. that's, that's that, that, a coke cage yeah. Yeah, that's where right. that's the the twenty five percent now the quadrant I put that one in. So, um, I would thoroughly recommend that to you. Oh, wow. um, but this sort of links into he does a weird voice in that one as well. Right. It's a it's slightly higher voice. The voice he does in this film as Speckles, the star nosed mole, because I've you know mm-hmm. got to make that very clear that he's a star nosed mole and he has personality <laughs> and purpose. God damn it! Um, God damn. <laughs> I'm sure like when you're watching this one, I think unless you know Cage is that character, you probably wouldn't have clocked that it was him. Um But this I know in that same interview we were talking about, he said that this was a voice he'd been working on. Um and he he said that um he felt the character looked like he needed a weird voice. Um I, I guess. I can mm. sort of see it. Like it didn't not work. Um I suppose if it had just been Nicolas Cage's voice for a tech-savvy Starno's mole, would have taken me out a bit, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but he said he uses this voice when he's frustrated or stressed out because it yeah. makes him laugh. Um, now, this voice... Now, one, touching on that, if you're... Say you're in a relationship and you're having an argument and you're just like, huh? Huh? why haven't you done the dishes? <laughs> I'm like... I'm, I'm in lockdown with a maniac. Um... This was a voice he did for a character in um, the film that actually um, came out two films prior to Moonstruck in 1986 called Peggy Sue Got Married, where he played a character called Charlie Bodell. Um, 
basically the idea of that was um, in the well, the present day of that film, uh, Peggy Sue and Charlie are married, a bit of a loveless marriage, but then she gets uh, falls over or something, has an accident, and then sort of goes back to when they first met in the 50s in high school, and then sort of, even though he's doing that voice, all film, non-ironically, um, she learns to fall in love with him again. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this yeah. gave me, I mean, by by all accounts... Peggy Sue, decent film, not a bad film. Um, but that just gave you horrible flashbacks to, yeah. like, you know, Cage at this point has been sitting on that voice for about 20 years, waiting to bring it back. Yeah. And my God, he did. Yeah. Um, so I suppose when you first hear him, you know, at the start of the film, they're trying to break into um, Leonard Saber's mansion, Bill Nye. He sort of click-clacking away with his claws on a tiny little rat computer. Um, when you hear that voice used, I said, "What? What did you think when you sort of realised that was Cage as well?" I, you know what, it didn't bother me because I think it does fit a mole because it's a very nasal voice, and moles have big noses, and that was fine for me. He is also <laughs> the only person in this entire film doing a voice. <laughs> Every- yeah. Everyone else is just doing their own voice, which is fine. Like a lot of voice actors do that. Apart from John Favreau does like a little bit of a, he's already got quite a characterful voice. And then I feel like he's doing a little bit of, um, what's his name? Is it Wallace Shane, the, Sean, the guy who does Rex in Toy Story. It kind of goes a bit like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I feel was a bit more jarring, but like I, it didn't, it didn't bother me. I was kind of up for it. And then when, because there's a large portion of the film where he's not in it. And I fell yeah. asleep. <laughs> I got bored. <laughs> I, this is the thing. I, I quite, I, I, I agree with his use of the voice in this film. Yeah. I think it did elevate it somewhat. <laughs> yeah. Because. I mean, everyone else, like obviously, everyone else's voices were fine, and it's you know I'm I'm never going to argue with Sam Rockwell over his acting choices, yeah. other than he did this film. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do, I was I was okay with it. I wasn't okay with a lot of other things in the film, like in that scene, two things. With first of all, Sam Rockwell's character says, "No rodent gets left behind." Moles aren't rodents. (laughs) Strike one. (laughs) Strike one. And I thought maybe, maybe this has been like a thing that's gotten lost in the rewriting. Because I was like, I'm not going to judge it just yet because it's the start of the film. Maybe at the end of the film, you know, because at the start of the film, he could have been like, no rodent gets left behind. He'd be like, I'm a mole, not a rodent. And then at the end of it, it's like, you're one of the rodents now. I don't know. (laughs) That could have worked, but they didn't come back to it. So that was wrong. What bothered the other thing that bothered me in that scene is there's a clip that is used in the trailer and is also used at the end of the film when they're rolling credits as if it's like his life is when um Nicholas when Speckles says I'm a mole I've got a thing for worms yeah (laughs) (laughs) as if that's meant to be like a zinger. And they repeat it at the end. And I'm like, 
I feel like they could have done something else that was a bit because that relies on you a knowing that moles eat a lot of worms, <laughs> which I didn't really ever think of when I think of worms. And yeah. B, it's like meant to be like a plate, like a pun on the fact that he's just put like a worm tracer into the software. And again, I've never really thought of like software tracer worms. I would always think of it as being like a bug or a virus. So it's like, yeah, they're making a pun out of a thing that's not a thing and relies you on knowing a thing that's not a well-known thing. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, zing it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that bothered me more. I feel they right. could have, he could have been like, I'm a mole. I know how to dig up the dirt on criminals. or so, I don't know. <laughs> but I know moles dig dirt. So like, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> well, I think in, in the mole community, that would have killed. Um, I know. Like, that's a thing we do do. Finally, <laughs> relatable content. Yes. Yeah. See, I'm surprised um, Nicolas Cage didn't didn't pick up on that <laughs> yeah I, th I think he was too deep in the backstory of the character right, okay. um which which i suppose sort of you know jumping ahead the mole is a mole um yes says so he he drops that that very quick hint at the start where he's sort of packing away and he's like oh i know this mansion better than um i could ever than you ever realize or something like that it's so hard to do that i'm not almost going to trump oh um, god yeah it's like I'm the greatest mole, a fantastic <laughs> mole. Um, but he drops that very little hint at the start, um, mm. you know. And I, and as as a glasses wearer myself, when um, you know they they had to get evacuated before the FBI took him away, and they took his little goggles off, and I was like, I felt that. Yeah, yeah. Felt... I've got contacts in just now because um, oh. you know this is a special occasion in lockdown. I'm talking to a human, so I put my contacts in. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I feel that I. I worried about him there too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Having to we, run away. <laughs> we we all worried, and then just to have that the that them that M Night Shyamalan level twist that um, he wasn't trash compacted when he was bin bagged and thrown out into the the garbage truck, and that he was um, actually the bad guy all along. Which was the I'm trying to find what the name was because I know they said it was a sort of the Chinese word for. Uh, Mr. Yanshu, which was the Chinese word for mole, um, oh. as if as if you're watching that, supposed to be like, oh Yanshu, of course it yeah. was there all along. <laughs> um, so you know, it's like we're kids I'm supposed to get this, yeah. and be like, if nothing else, I learned the Chinese word for mole, Yanshu. Um, I mean, I struggled with the worms thing, so I wasn't going to get that. Like <laughs> I have no time for this linguistic gymnastics no. I was supposed to be doing to get the whole, you know, twist of the film. Um, well, I suppose you sort of saying about the um, writing as well. Uh, screenplay was done by the husband and wife duo of, uh, you may have seen the credits, The Wibberleys, uh, best right. name in Hollywood. Uh, Cormac and Marianne Wibberley. Oh, that's who, their actual surname. Yeah, wasn't I just like a pen was, name. Yeah, I thought it was just like a fun. Oh, that's cute. Okay, <laughs> I feel bad it's, getting um, insulting the writing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just a, a husband and wife duo who have um, they've sort of been given a lot of, um, I guess, 
I don't know, family friendly, but a lot of sort of what cinema probably would have deemed Hollywood, um, like the big summer films. Um, they'd also been given sort of both National Treasure films, National Treasure and National Treasure Book of Secrets. Right. Um, they've given Bad Boys 2. They penned Charlie's Angels Full Throttle as oh. well. Um, so some films, they seem to have a history of films that are fine. They're all right. Um, what else they had? Um, the I Spy they had, The Sixth Day with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Shaggy Dog. Um, but then sort of since G-Force, I've done one or two episodes of TV, but um, not done a lot else than sort of the past mm. 10 years. So it's like they thought, you know, we'll go out on a high with, uh, <laughs> with G-Force. G-Force and um, uh, let that go. So... A few things the Wibblies have had there in sort of the in the the two thousands. So, um, great name, so so films. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I I love the perseverance to say you know what no we are going to be credited as the Wibblies. Yeah. Um, so equal Mr. playing field for Wibbly. the <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Wibbly, um, living out in California, having Aww. a great time, um, writing films about guinea pigs and. Uh, and the and the angels, uh, all of Charlie's angels. I mean, I've so. I've always said that uh, when I get married, I'm not going to take my husband's name. But I think if my husband was called Mister Wibbly, I might have um, I might have <laughs> broken that. <laughs> Sadly, my fiance's called Jones, so <laughs> no. I won't be doing uh, that. But uh, um, my partner's Wibbly. surname is Jones, so um, uh, I suspect no relation. But if it <laughs> if it was Wibbly and marriage was on the cards, it was like we're gonna flip the script on this. Daryl yeah. Wibbly me right up. I want to be. <laughs> I want in that way. You know, you get like strict school teachers who, when they're you know shouting or set an example, they will make you say sort of um, the full like Mister, mm. Missus. I'm like, no, that's Mister D Wibbly to you, sir. <laughs> You could hype Wibbly Jones. Uh, it sounds quite good too. You could do that. Oh, oh it just makes it, it rolls off the tongue. It's very Wibbly. nice. Wibbly. So. Yeah, I like <laughs> that. Although the more I say Wibbly, the more I'm just haunted by the 90s visions of Mr. Blobby coming back because I feel like it's a pseudonym. Now I'm saying it. Oh, God. What if. I think we'd know if Mr. Blobby had written Bad Boys too. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Bad wibs, bad wobs. What are you going to do when Blobby comes for you? Because he will. Um, (laughs) He will, and he always does. Um, But this this one was another film in sort of the Cage archives that was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Mm. Um, Jerry Bruckheimer, he's basically one of the most, I suppose, most powerful producers in all of Hollywood, really. Um, I think this would have been sixth or seventh time that he'd worked with Cage at this point um, in terms of Cage films they'd also done um, Con Air and The Rock by this point um, Jerry Bruckheimer um, to see his face he basically looks like if Seth Green had been frozen in ice for a hundred years um, <laughs> but he, he's produced some of like, the massive films I mean the Beverly Hills Cops um, Pearl Harbor uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean oh, wow. films as well Another cage films, like I said, G Force, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, um, and when the, whenever the new Top Gun comes out, he's produced on that. So, 
Um, very rarely something that doesn't do well in the box office mm. that he's not um, associated with in some yeah. way, shape or form. Um, his... And also a lot of CSI as well. So he's a um, man well, of many abilities. There you go. He does know that when you said... Um... So he directed Pirates of the Caribbean as well, you're saying? Uh, produced, some he executive produced. Right. Because um, that kind of makes sense, because I've heard a lot of stories about how like Johnny Depp was like, I'm just going to do this. And they were like, all right. And I kind of feel like <laughs> that seems to be this Jerry Bruckheimer's approach to his actors and all his films, and especially if he's worked with Nick Cage this much. It's just like, I'm doing this. It's like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you'll think, see what it, it will make it work. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I kind of have to call it the cult of Cage at this point, um, because you know maybe Bruckheim is working for Cage. Um, so I think mm. he said in that same interview he's like he was like Jerry Bruckheimer, um, sort of he cares about films and he wants to make families happy. And he was basically like um, he just lets me do whatever the, the hell I want. Yeah, um, which is I think from a Cage perspective, um, that's possibly half the reason he takes some films as well when he's just got that creative freedom to do whatever the hell he wants yeah. and that's what and i live for i feel like if this if he's worked with nick cage this many times it leads me also to believe that nick cage must be quite a nice person to be around on sex otherwise you wouldn't choose to work with someone that many times if they were an yeah. asshole on set <laughs> i mean this goes back to what i'm saying because from all for all accounts and purposes he is a very nice man. He's a really nice yeah. guy. Um, the uh, one of the things of actually this comes, sort of comes back to Peggy Sue got married. Um, this is one of the few times where he's had sort of on the set sort of drama. I use air quotes for that. Uh, most of the time, he's sort of he's all about the film. He's interested in other actors, um, especially when he works with a younger cast. He's very keen on like sort of teaching them stuff and learning stuff from him. As far as he's concerned, he's a student of the game. He's still learning. Um, but, but apparently on this one, he had a lot of beef with, um, his fellow co uh, co-star in that Peggy Sue, um, in that, I think this would have been his sixth or seventh sort of major film, but, uh, it was Kathleen Turner who played Peggy Sue. Oh. Um, and there were sort of reports that he would, um, uh, drink a fair bit. And at one point he stole a chihuahua, um, <laughs> So, um, there were claims that he'd had uh, he'd driven drunk, stole a koala. Um, she put this in her autobiography, and um, they had quite a sort of a beef following that for a number of years. Cage actually sued her for defamation and won. Um, in return, he got a public apology from Turner, and um, oh, wow. they just asked that she made a substantial donation to charity. Um. But she, as we've been talking about the voice, she wasn't a fan of him doing that voice. Um, she sort of said it wasn't my job to sort of tell someone else what they should be doing. Um, wasn't happy that the director was sort of letting him, him yeah. get away with it. And as far as she was concerned at that time, he was an asshole. So, uh, yeah. Um, That's so weird that you mentioned Kathleen Turner and that voice, though, because so I watched G-Force on Wednesday and then on Thursday night, I wrote, I watched um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is like one of my favorite, I think one of the best films ever made. Right. And I, and obviously Kathleen Turner's in that she plays Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. Um, and as I was watching it, I was like, oh, 
Nicolas Cage's mole voice is a has a bit of Roger Rabbit in it. It's like hmm. if Roger Rabbit yeah. meets like Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> and then you get Nick's mole voice. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the sort of the great cartoon characters plus of one of horror's greatest villains meet him in yeah. the middle and that's that's then where nick cage lives yeah look like listen to it and be like if roger rabbit was playing hannibal lecter or if hannibal lecter was doing a roger rabbit impression it would be kind of close <laughs> to where nick gets to i mean i'm struggling to disagree with that uh, my my tiny little idiot mind just going, <laughs> But now I'm thinking, poor Kathleen Turner, you know, years after this Peggy Sue thing, being in Jessica Rabbit, working with Rod, the, the guy doing the voice of Roger Rabbit, she might have been getting, like, flashbacks to, like, <laughs> just, Peggy Sue. <laughs> just traumatising, like, oh, like the chihuahua's been gone again. again. Oh, no. Um, like this, I'm going to get defamed again sued for defamation again um but you know like i said other than that there's not not too much of us of a sordid history with uh, history with cage which is oh. i think always nice to see um but yeah like i said i think the voice worked i think for the other characters it there didn't seem to be much characterization for anyone else mm-hmm. um other than um sam rockwell as darwin's like i'm the leader guinea pig and that, that's what i do and then uh, Penelope Cruz as uh, Juarez, this sexy guinea pig. I'm. I never. I never cease to be amazed when they can make cartoon animals sexy. Like how do you make a sexy <laughs> yeah. guinea pig? But they do it. They didn't have to make her that sexy, but she is sexy. Um, the, the, and then um, what's his name? The um, other guinea pig. Uh, Tracy Morgan as Tracy um, Morgan Blaster. I think he. I think is. Tracy Morgan's very good in this film. I think it's you know, yeah, he's yeah. pretty much doing his own voice, but it's it works. Yeah, I mean, I I sort of had no issue with um, Blaster. I think just like you were saying, just the portrayal of uh, Penelope Cruz's Juarez. Like I said, there was no need for there to be of interest. You know, I'm watching a, a PG film for children. I'm I shouldn't be in the back of my mind thinking. Ah, a guinea pig love triangle. Which one is... How are they yeah. going to bang? Um, now I'm trying to ship guinea pigs. Uh, and quite frankly, I'm sick of female guinea pigs being objectified. Um, I mean, this film, diversity-wise, both race and gender is very poor. You know, it's a very, very white male cast. There's yeah. one female lead and she's a guinea pig. There's one black lead and he's a guinea pig everyone else <laughs> Zach Galifianakis and you know I mean I'm sure FBI is a very white male uh company mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. word um but you know this is a film where guinea pigs can talk like I feel like they could have maybe you know had had a bit more I don't know diversity in the the cast a little yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. It's like, but at the end, they had cockroaches line dancing, so swings and roundabouts, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, one thing I will say about yeah. uh, the mole voice at the start, it took me a very long time to realise he was calling Sam Rockwell's character Darwin. I thought he was saying darling the whole time. <laughs> 
and then I, and I which I thought oh, that's kind of nice he's like hey darling like, I was like oh okay or that's his name and then it's like oh no wait it's Darwin that's, well, well, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, they were just very cute friends. Um, you know, yeah. very, very close. Affectionate. But, yeah. You know, they're, they're very, very comfortable with uh, expressing how they feel, which, um, you know, hey, men, we can all learn from that, you know, expressing <laughs> ourselves with our mole and guinea pig friends. Um, mm. And let's, let's stop dropping dead at 50. Come on, just tell people that you love them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Call your guinea pig heroes, darling. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah. um, like I, said, I, I, I didn't, you know, particularly hate the characters. I think some were much less inspired than others. I, again, going back to Juarez, like the first time, and I have to stress the first time you see her character, she's coming out of like a, a, a pond and she's slow motion <laughs> yeah. shaking herself off, and all the water drips are going everywhere. Yeah. I was like, so immediately. This kid's film, The Wibblies, want me to know that this is a sexy guinea pig, guinea pig. and that I should yeah. know that from the off. The first thing, not her, you know, her skills or her attributes, her own agency as an, um, an FBI guinea pig, just that she's fucking the hottest rodent I've ever seen. Um, I was like, that's the first thing you want yeah. me to know about this guinea pig. Um, yeah. And her whole through line for the film is just her being questioned by Darwin and Blaster, like, who are you interested in? Like, this is an episode of, like, Friends in a later season. It's like, who are you interested in? No, you've got to ask her who she's not interested in, then she'll tell you who she's interested in. And that's... And other than getting dressed yeah. up by that girl when they're sort of, sort of adopted, that's all she really does. Um, yeah. The and then it's like, when she's getting dressed up by the girl, it's like, oh, this is silly, this is girly. And it's like, okay, so it's not okay... For girls to be girly, but it is okay for them to be sexually objectified. I just, that's a very confusing. Which message. lane are we going in, Wibblies? Which we, lane yeah. am I? Am I objectifying or am I standing in unity? Just tell me what to do. Um, yeah. I can't. I can't take this confusion. I mean, I guess she like has her own. Um, she you see her at some point writing sort of gossip, um, erotic fiction. At some point on her laptop or something, oh, yeah, she has like she's a got blog. A, I think she's got like a little Facebook account, and she's got friends that are humans on there, right? And they're um, following her. Like she has a sort of um, like Sex in the City type like sign yeah. off. Like this is my. So I guess she's kind of got that going on. She obviously enjoys some of the attention, I guess, but you know. Yeah. It is a bit confusing, but it's like, oh, but she also like spends 10,000 hours on the treadmill or whatever they say. I don't know. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, obviously, um, her and Buster get um, adopted by um, evil children. Um, yeah. She's dressed up like Mrs. Nesbitt, like Buzz Lightyear was <laughs> in Toy Story. Mrs. Nesbitt! <laughs> yes, that is what that fits like. How awful is that boy? He just like but, throws the guinea pig in the shop to the snake. Yeah, he's basically a more sociopathic Sid from Toy Story yeah. as well. Um, sort of watching it, I was like, "That's that's, that's just Sid. That's just yeah. Sid, but given human form." Um, like I said, they escape from the FBI. They f end up in a pet store um, where, and I don't know why this was a decision that they made, but the pet stoners, uh, pet stoners, pet store owners. Um, don't know the difference between guinea pigs and hamsters. Children know that difference. If you don't know mm. that difference, you have no business working in a pet store. 
Um, and then they he picks up Hurley, who is or isn't, or might or might not be Darwin's long lost brother on the basis of a few strands of hair and birthmark that they've got. Mm. And then he just shot puts him to try and launch him into a tank with a snake. Um, and then he's driving, just driving Buster around in a little um, remote control vehicle, making him do like big jumps, which, um, or Blaster said, which Blaster seems to enjoy. Yeah. So that kind of, that kind of works out quite well for him in that, that respect. We've also, I've, one thing I did enjoy though, about the whole pet store um, is Steve Buscemi as a hamster. Yes. Um, but then they had this whole thing about like, oh, his mum had sex with a ferret or something. And I was just like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, really strange backstory that, that one, I didn't realise that guinea pigs and hamsters were supposed to occupy the same space. Maybe they can. I don't know. I, I've I've been to pets at home. I've looked in the cages like everyone else, but I thought they were always kept separate. Mm. But he's a very feisty little hamster who Hurley alludes to may have been experimented on at a university um now he's just very angry there's a line to his little house that you don't cross apparently he comes from a a line of horny ferrets that's a sore point until he reveals that his grandfather is a ferret um i don't know what was going on with him a lot crammed into that you get so much of his backstory and like i don't know the backstory of anyone else (laughs) (laughs) really also i just got very disorientated in that cage because it's like it seems really small for the amount of animals they have in it and animals just keep appearing and it's like well you're in this big clear cage how did you not see this massive guinea pig like (laughs) i just found that all a little like the spacing of that was a bit strange for me i got very <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good job they're secret agents that could escape. Otherwise, I think they would have got very stressed. Yeah, frankly. but this, but that was the other thing. It was like, oh, well, there's a lock on the cage. Wow, we better have to. We'll have to wait until we can get you know adopted and then escape from their house. It's like, no, we've just seen you break into a mansion. Surely you can break <laughs> out, either a break out of this cage or b just wait for the split second that they open the cage and then you just blast out from there why do you all have to go to separate houses and (laughs) they were were definitely equipped enough to do it um Hmm. they just had to wait for the one of i lost count of how many times black eyed peas came on as a soundtrack (laughs) to this song (laughs) and i was like oh yeah 2009 because no other music existed other than uh, lady gaga on the black eyed peas in yeah. 2009 they used the same black eyed peas song about four different times i was like yeah. could you could you either one just use it once because i don't know you, you had to do it because, hey remember we're the wibblies and we know what's cool um <laughs> <laughs> the wibblies um <laughs> but they use it so many times and i was like Right, I wasn't the biggest fan of Black Eyed Peas back mm. in "quote unquote" the day. Um, I'm still not the biggest fan of them now. I'm like, just but, ugh, anything. But else. that's why I think maybe it was the perfect choice because I feel the same way about the Black Eyed Peas and their music as I do about guinea pigs. Like, I'm just <laughs> not fussed about them. And so you put Black Eyed Pea music to guinea pigs. It's like, well, yeah, 
<laughs> they're on the same <laughs> level for me like just give me two <laughs> things i don't care about and they're yeah. still two wrongs don't make a right you're not going to yeah. cancel out guinea pigs with black eyed peas or will i am or fergie but at um, least they didn't like ruin music that i really liked you know if they tried to put it to I don't know, let's say like the Rolling Stones, it'd be like, nah, the Rolling Stones are too cool for guinea pigs. Guinea pigs <laughs> Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. If if they'd had some some real intestinal fortitude and just given them like, I don't know, Metallica or something when they were breaking yeah. out. I was like, go on then, make a choice. Make a decision. Yeah. I I know you don't have the stones, the wibblies. I've called you out before. <laughs> I'll call you out again. <laughs> Um, and I'll at this point, I, I will challenge you to combat. Um, but like I said, it seemed, it seemed, I think, with sort of that being said, and not touching on massively, sort of John Favreau's Hurley, who I had nothing against the character of Hurley, but I kind of just hate this, especially when they do it in animated films, when the fat character's characteristic is that they're fat. And that they don't do anything else. It's just like, mm. oh, human food, cake, and, and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. I was like, do you have any other assets to your character? Because then he's guarding the vent for them when they break back into um, the Bill Nye character's mansion. And then he goes off to eat cherries, get captured by a, a microwave robot. I was like, oh, because yeah. you love food. And now this has put the team in danger. And, and um, you know, other than you accidentally fluked your way into giving them the solution to stopping the robots mm. by saying oh you should reverse engineer the virus um, that doesn't mean you should have been given an FBI badge at the end you're not yes. trained for this that seems very dangerous and it seems to undo a lot of like the long steady work this team has been trying to do to like justify their existence of being like look we train just as hard as real FBI agents and then they're like and we've got this guy now and they just it. <laughs> like, we've got this lummox um. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't. And and then with well, again, like I've written down, family is the theme, and they oh, bring that right yeah. at the end. It's like, <laughs> Mole, you're part of the family. Hurley, you're part of the family. We all got sent away from our families, but now we're a family. And it's like you, it just felt very pushed in at that very end. Yeah. I get that they had this whole thing like I'm a brother and then we suddenly get his whole story at the end of like was he like abandoned or something I can't remember um, I know when they make their way they somehow all just have a sense of direction and make their way back to um, Zach Galifianakis' character yeah. Ben who is their trainer scientist who by mm. many accounts is um, unappreciated as possibly the smartest man in the world um, for giving yeah. animals the machinery and technology to talk. Um, yeah, which is totally like, you know, Will Arnett comes in and they're like, oh, you can talk. And then immediately like, after like two seconds of being impressed by that, Will Arnett starts telling like the, the guinea pig to shut up. It's like, okay, so you've accepted <laughs> that very quickly. You were yeah. like, this is amazing two minutes ago. And now you're like, oh, okay, fuck off now. <laughs> like, it's like... There's a lot of things being accepted very quickly, and then yeah, yeah, um, yeah, which should be more. You'd think, and then they get really impressed by stuff that you're like, "Oh, that doesn't seem like quite a big deal." Like, <laughs> yeah, which I, I find a bit odd. I mean, I I get his FBI agents' motivation, and they're like, "Look, we've had our eyes on 
Bill Nye for a while. You're launching an unauthorized operation with guinea pigs, so I need to come and see what's going on. Mm. I get that, but I think surely anyone is like, wait a minute, you've engineered technology that means animals can communicate and a guinea flip can guinea flip guinea flip guinea pig can do backflips a guinea flip um i'm not i will not edit that out um <laughs> it's like by all accounts this is incredibly impressive and you've no soul that you're like well i've still got to shut you down it's like can we just take a second yeah to appreciate that you've got cockroaches on um you know espionage missions stealing chips and stuff you've got um a tiny little uh, video game motorbike yeah. the fly as well called mooch um who I, maybe i just don't know my my flies well enough but i see that he's, he's a, uh, a green bottle fly maybe it's blue bottles i'm thinking of but i thought flies <laughs> had like a, a a 24 hour lifespan or something a very short lifespan mm. no um, i think that's just fruit flies i think some flies live longer but uh, i mean well he can he's also a spy so He's a spy fly, and now the fly community is going to cancel me for getting my flies mixed up. (laughs) Rookie move. I kind of feel they maybe went too far with having all the cockroaches and the flies and the other animals. It's like, it should be just impressive enough that you've got the guinea pigs and the mole. Just keep it to that, because then it's like, well, why have you not got like a talking dog? Like, why are you not getting animals that are, you know, can actually already be trained to do stuff yeah i was kind of thinking that like you know for obviously like police using sniffer dogs and the army use mm. um sort of like dogs as well if anything and you know what i'm not trying to diminish the achievements of guinea pigs please don't count no. to me the guinea pig community as well <laughs> but you would have thought on the face of things if you're looking at all the animal accomplishments plus humans in history this technology was made for dogs surely mm. Mm, um mm-hmm. i mean it, you know obviously you know guide dogs are obviously trained and don't need to communicate because they have um sort of signals and they understand things but if the guide dog was like <laughs> car i'm like oh incredible i'd be sponsoring every guide dog charity um yeah. that i possibly could um I, I suppose um cats maybe i've seen videos i don't know if you've seen them they've sort of they've done this for dogs as well but they've got all this like a thousand buttons around this person's house they've trained like a cat to be like mom love you mom food yeah. pet me um so you know would a cat yeah. abuse that i don't know no but yeah i think like it's impressive and like you know we could if you're going to go into other animals there are other animals you could go in just keep it to the guinea pigs also because from a like surely it took you long, like guinea pigs and insects are very different species (laughs) and i wouldn't assume that a translator that works for like mammals would necessarily work for insects you know yeah so i just i think they maybe stretched it a bit a bit far with that yeah it was the fly that really took you out of the uh yeah (laughs) yeah it really did because it felt also like a bit of a copper it felt like oh well we can't do this luckily we have a fly it's like it's like whenever um R two D two can suddenly fly, and it's like ah oh, well at least R two D two can do this. Time. <laughs> it's like you know the fly yeah. was there, although I have other um uh sort of opinions about R two D I, which my 
fiance will get very angry because he gets very angry when I bring this up because he's like, that's the most stupid thing. But <laughs> I do believe that R2-D2 is a Jedi um, <laughs> because some people say, oh, R2-D2 just manages to save the day all the time. How did R2-D2 knew? It's just a cop out. But I think maybe R2-D2 is the best Jedi that's ever lived. And that's how he knows to go in and save them when he needs to save them. <laughs> maybe. I've just lost all respect from a lot of people listening to the everything else I've said about <laughs> guinea pigs. They're like, yeah, this girl knows what she's saying. And now they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, I've been cancelled by the fly community. You've been cancelled by the Star Wars community. Which is uh, a full-on community. <laughs> uh, and I know one of those can be slightly more toxic than the mm. other. Um, so best of luck in your career going forward. Um, <laughs> we'll just swing past that. But yeah, I don't even know how I managed to get on. Oh yeah, because we're talking about the fly and how I felt that was maybe a bit... A bit. Yeah, mm. yeah, I mean, I don't know if the fly... It feels like the only reason to put the fly in would be because it was an excuse for them to have some more just swooping weird camera angles. Yeah. Um, and like, well, we've got a crane. We might as well use it. Let's add a fly into the script. Yeah. Um, but then but- why not Why not invent like a little jetpack for the guinea pigs? Or not have guinea pigs choose birds? I don't know. <laughs> like... Or have multiple animals. Guinea pigs. I, I agree wholeheartedly with Nick Cage that guinea pigs are just a bit crap. <laughs> they are so, and they're small. They've got tiny legs. They can't run very fast. Like mm-hmm. the journey from getting to the pet store to go. This is why I'm like, don't go to this kid's house. Just leave from here because it's going to take you forever to walk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thankfully they had the little the little car. Um, mm, mm-hmm. like I said they had the little car just happened to have a sense of direction just happened to be able to find Ben I assume because secret agent guinea pig that's the reason well, no, he, they read the stars that was a thing there was a bit where they were like ah well this star is here and we know that this house but I'm like you don't know where this house that you are that you're is in that, is that what happened I think I must have I think I must have been taking a note and just missed that because if that There's happened then bit- um, I'm cancelling this film that's enough. I'm done. <laughs> There's definitely no. a bit where I think at least Darwin navigates by the sky in some way, even like navigates by the stars, although I'm pretty sure it's daylight. And because then Hurley later on is like, you're a special guinea pig. You can navigate by the sky. I can't believe how much of this film I actually remember because I did fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> in this whole in this long, big section where Nick Cage isn't in it and yeah the weakest part of the film obviously it really is and to be (laughs) honest i don't think i fully understand what bill nye's character was really up to i feel like they made that a bit too complicated as well or maybe i'm just stupid i'm just like what (laughs) yeah he kind of i think he was just basically a, a pawn for um for Nicolas Cage's character, who was just yeah. kind of using him. I think as far as he was concerned, it was just he's got his um, uh, saber scene or something, his big technology empire, the biggest technology thing in the world. He just wanted to basically have, like, all our machines can communicate together. So I think the example was when you're out of coffee, the machine knows, you get mm. ordered some more. So there were practical functions to what he was doing. Yeah. But then because... Because every technological oligarch in film has to have a million satellites, um, Speckles could just um, use them right. and use the the chips inside them. 
um, all stemming from and this there were two scenes that I actually laughed out loud at, both involving his character. The the first, um, and I I think I'm getting these in the wrong order, but when he explains his backstory for doing mm. this to exterminate humans because humans exterminated moles. I was like, mm. okay, well, there's, I can, I can see that, you know, mm. you're going to exterminate a mole over a guinea pig, and then there was that flashback to him in a cage with his dad. His dad has the exact oh, yeah. same voice, and he's like, <laughs> "If you ever get the chance to exterminate mankind and bring it to its knees, do it." And then it ends. And yeah. the flashback ends. I was like, <laughs> yes. I remember. I think I laughed out loud at that too because he's he he's a child in it so he's just this tiny little cute mole and his dad's like bring down humanity <laughs> and it's like bye it was yeah like, so there's a whole backstory with his dad and his dad and just some mental conditioning that he's been through like yeah. i suppose in the same way that um i guess if if speciesism racism operates on a mold level that he's just been hating humans for the longest time yeah. he's watched like golf course after golf course of his people get wiped out and he's like <laughs> Um, this is your legacy. This is your mission. And then he's been raised with that his entire life. This toxic ideal that moles are the master race. And then Darwin's like, "But family." He's like, "What have I done?" Yeah. And then he yeah. stops. So he really pulls out of it really quick. Yeah. The other part that made me laugh out loud, which I think was just before this, um, when you do get the reveal that um, Speckles is. Mr. Yanshu, he's been the the brains behind this the whole time, where he's explaining like how he engineered all the technology. It was one thing, just the way that Nick Cage said it. He's like, and they engineered these nodes, nodes, <laughs> um, and that I was like, fucking brilliant. Um, right, I'm taking my charger out myself. No <laughs> yeah, problem. I was like, that outstanding, outstanding. Yeah. that was that was Nick. That I was like, oh, there's there's Nick Cage. That's Nick Cage doing Nick Cage there. Um, <laughs> most of it I could get on board with, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's every now and then with films, even in sort of the the uncagey films like this one, you can sometimes get a little cageism, and that yeah. one it was disguised, but it was there, and yeah. that was it, um, and that's what sort of um, yeah, I think, and they were just it's... like fine. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Bruckheimer gets the last word, like, yeah, that was fine. Um, like I said, I think the director was kind of against the uh, voice as well, but he had to get on board with it. Yeah. Um, Going back to your point about the whole, like, how he suddenly, quickly turns, it's like, but family, and he's like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, <laughs> that section also annoyed me because it's like, so it is pretty bad. Like, his whole family, his whole species has been exterminated. Like, there's been a genocide. Like, that's really horrible and heart-wrenching. And then, like, Darwin turns around and it's like, well, me and Hurley are the same. We were rejected by our parents. We're in the same boat. And I'm like, you don't connect. You're not, you don't have the same story. Like, <laughs> like you were, yeah, you were rejected that's... by your, you were the runt of the litter. He was rejected by, like, the his adoptees or whatever. It's like, that's not the same as seeing your whole family killed that you actually loved and loved you, like, killed in yeah. front of you. Like, yeah, don't... that's stretching. Yeah, it's, stre it's just like that thing where people say, oh, yeah, I've been there too. And it's like, you've not. <laughs> don't <laughs> try to say your problems are the same. <laughs> it's, 
it's like I understand Darwin what you're trying to do you're trying to reach him on an emotional level because mm. you don't want to fight him he doesn't want to fight you but the fact that Speckles fell for it is more actually if an, um, you know a, a mark against his character yeah um, because if anything he's created he's orchestrated a worldwide um, extermination that was going to happen and quite frankly if we're going to it's a kids film but even though he's Nicolas Cage, he's a terrorist and he should have been executed on site. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all. And I realised there were no casualties, um, even with all like the sort of A-team crashes that the FBI agents went through, that car chase, hamster wheel chase scene. And no one gets injured, no one dies. Um, uh, but he should have been, you know, at the very least sent to The Hague. Um, <laughs> the first guinea pig um, mole ever at The Hague. Yeah, I was a little bit miffed at the end. Again, it just felt very throwaway when they were doing like the roundup of like, oh, well, this guy at the FBI has been sent to the North Pole or something. And it's like, haha, he got his comeuppance. And he's like, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. And then it cuts to um, Speckles, who's, whose punishment is apparently like um, fixing all the machines that he broke. Yeah or something yeah and he just sort of like i don't know if it was nick cage throwing it away or the writing kind of threw it away but it felt like he was like oh it's gonna take me so long to fix all these machines but i'll come back to the team later if they'll have me and it's just like you're talking to the team right now like it felt (laughs) like it should have been more like hey guys look i'm doing my punishment i'm gonna be here but you know i miss you and if you'll still have me, I'd love to come back and just like actually have it be like a a thing of, you know, coming all the way around and then being like, don't worry, don't worry, Speckles, we'll see you on the other side or whatever. I don't know. But it just was like, oh, I just hope they have me back one day. And then like cuts. <laughs> yeah, and nothing. He was nothing. Given, he was, you know, he was obviously he's on his little a sort of road to redemption. We don't get it in this film. As far as I'm aware, we're not going to get a G-Force sequel, um, for better or worse. But he's basically, his punishment for trying to wipe out the entire human race was basically 200 hours of community service. Yeah, fixing coffee machines, basically. Um, if anything, very light punishment. He's just been given a slap on... The, he's been given the naughty step. For try for gen, for attempts at genocide, a terrorist, and I can't stress that enough. You know, he's my favourite character because he's the only one with any sort of umph behind them. But he's mm. a terrorist, and he should be treated as yeah. such. Um, yeah. And also, like they're like, "Yay, G Force! You were so great. Here's all your badges." And I'm like, "Wait, are you not going to pull them up on the fact that they were basically had a terrorist under their roof that they were training this whole time and like didn't notice, like?" Maybe you should, like, you know, shouldn't be promoting them just yet. I don't know yeah. how much they've really proved. I mean, again, this is surely... And the director of the FBI, the highest authority mm-hmm. of the FBI, has sanctioned this. Surely not fit for office, a blemish against the FBI. Um, anyone in a position of power is basically corrupt to their core and um, should not be uh, given that kind of leniency um that's the problem all of the fbi is being run by just middle-aged white men that's maybe part of the issue that (laughs) we're not (laughs) 
that G-Force is, is showing us. <laughs> I, th I think it's it's an apt point that the problem with G-Force is white men. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what else to tell you. Disney, learn from this. You probably it, won't. It was a Disney film. Of course, I watched it on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't feel like Disney. Also, because this was the same year Up came out. And that's just like... And I looked it up because I was curious to know how much it cost to make this film. And Up was, so this was, I think, 150 million to make. Yeah. Up was 175 million. The profit on this film was like 292 million. So almost, so they made a profit, but Up yeah. made like over 700 million. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it, um, it stands to reason that if G-Force had been given that extra 25 million, the difference that would have been made. Um, it, it, bringing that point up, it did really well at the box office. It um, opened uh, July 24th, 2009, went straight to number one. My 19th um, birthday. It's my birthday, oh, 24th of July. So. <laughs> what a momentous occasion in the cage history in crossing over. I can't um, believe it missed. I missed it. Like... Surely I should have done that for my birthday. <laughs> oh, no, now you're going to come away with this podcast, you know, um, 11 years later, nothing but regrets yeah. um, of what could have been. Um, actually, went straight to number one, actually knocked uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince off of the top spot. So wow. um, there was an appetite for it. Critically, um, it got quite trashed, only 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so critics weren't really into yeah. it either um they but... threw a lot of celebrities at it like every everyone apart from the girl who works the other woman in the film <laughs> <laughs> the girl who works in the lab who i didn't recognize but everyone else is like top-notch celebrity casting yeah um, yeah um, i feel like maybe that's where they spent a lot of their money i don't know <laughs> yeah it seemed like the, the plot was kind of thin really but like i said they threw a lot of big stars in there obviously it's like galifianakis bill nye sam rockwell steve buscemi penelope cruz tracy morgan john favreau nicholas cage obviously <laughs> um so there's a few people in there that, that cage has worked with previously um steve mm. buscemi he'd worked on with uh in zanderley and con air uh sam rockwell he worked with in matchstick men penelope cruz captain corelli's mandolin um as for for the um the other cast members i'm not sure if he had worked with them before or since um but like i say it was came out on your birthday a lot of previous cage co-stars a lot of cagey connections in there so um <laughs> this is this is what we live for um i suppose just touching on the director as well maybe one of the reasons it didn't do too well uh by a gentleman called hoyt yeatman uh, a name i've not made up that's a real name uh, Yeatman and the Wibblies, um, which sounds like it should have been a family comedy in like mm. the late eighties, nineties. Um, as far as I can tell, this is the only film he's ever directed. Um, he primarily was a visual effects supervisor and had worked previously with Cage on The Rock on and Con Air. Mm. So um, maybe this sort of got him in for that connection. As ergo, he would have worked with Jerry Bruckheimer. Got, we've got this new technology coming in, but. I suppose for 3D films, that would have been a year dominated by Up, as you said, and um, Avatar as well, I think. Ah, also, so, um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, I think, came out that year. 
Um, and that's a film I did see on my birthday, which would have been... Uh, it might have actually been my 18th birthday that I went to see uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which um, I actually quite enjoyed. Um, I suppose, speaking of the Yeatmans, uh, Hoyt Yeatman's son, Hoyt Yeatman the Fourth. I'm not making that up. Um, came up with the original idea for the film at only five years old. Hmm, did he? Uh, and Yeatman enjoyed the idea so much that he brought it to the attention of Jerry Bruckheimer. And that sort of sounds to me like Hoyt Yeatman, the, I'm not sure what number Yeatman the director is, but he had the idea said, I'm going to let my son take the fall for this if, if it just bombs. Yeah. Um, and now here we are in 2009 with uh, the number one film, G-Force. Um, I mean, it was number one, I guess. I undeniable. Uh, it's yeah. in the history books. Um, my other favorite thing by just looking on IMDb, you can get like trivia and stuff. That's you know, always a bit of fun. I looked at the FAQ section, the frequently answered questions section of IMDb <laughs> for this film. There was only four questions. Okay. One question asked, and I quote: "What does this film have to do with guinea pigs?" Um, so I don't. I don't. I don't know. It's literally half of the film is guinea pigs. That's. Did they watch the right film? <laughs> I. I don't think they did. Um, it, whatever else was out on that same day was the Ugly Truth, Orphan, um, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs was still in sort of the top ten. Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen, The Hangover was up there. Bruno. Um, so there was. Yeah, I think at that period of time, quite a big competition for the top spot, but mm. um, G-Force passed this guy by, so um, and then so I think someone just answered, they just copy and pasted the plot of the film so <laughs> I don't know like <laughs> I don't know what else to tell uh, you about this film um, so um, yeah. although awards wise it, it was nominated at the 2010 Visual Effects Society Awards for outstanding animated characters uh, or character in a live-action feature motion picture, but lost okay. out to Avatar, specifically the character uh, Natiri, who it seemed like the special effects people lost their mind for that year. It won awards for her drinking from a leaf. Uh, right. That seemed to, uh, people lost their mind for that sort of 10-second scene, apparently, and mm. swept up in the VFX awards. I, um, I can't say, I haven't seen Avatar, and I feel like if I were going to watch it, I should have watched it back then because i feel yeah. if i watch it now i won't i won't see what all the fuss was i think finished. yeah it's it was it was just a uh, grot for blue man group that's all avatar was uh like i said by now i think the allure's gone they're still planning to make like three more and it's been like it's been 12 11 12 years and there is no appetite for avatar 2 you've no. missed the boat yeah. just let nicholas cage have his films um, <laughs> Unless Nicolas Cage is going to be an Avatar too, now that I've oh, that's that's such a stretch of my duty, but I'll still watch it because I have to. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing you really need to know about Avatar in this day and age is that um, SNL Saturday Night Live did a sketch with Ryan Gosling I, about the papyrus. Yeah, font. I've seen that. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> all you need to know yeah. about Avatar, and you will not be missing out. Yeah. Um, but we didn't I miss actually, out on G-Force though. I have an FAQ about G-Force that I've Shoot. been thinking um, well not an FAQ it's just me asking it I 
so I, I maybe because I did like half fall asleep. Bill Nye's character, he didn't know that Speckles was planning what he was planning, did he? No, as far no. as I'm aware, he he outright says in that basically big Skype call, "Hello, my fellow co-conspirators," because we have to be very obvious about who these people mm. are on the screen. He just knew him by the name Mister Yashnu, uh, but didn't know it was Speckles. Right, but like he did have a plan. Did his? Because at one point he's like, "They weren't supposed to kill everyone. They're just meant to talk to each other." So did he know that the plan was for all the? coffee machines to start killing people um i'm gonna assume he didn't um like i said they really seem to skim on his character he's just like i say the fool guy um Mm, mm -hmm. i assume because speckles lair was underneath his mansion bill nye was like he was underneath me this whole time and bill nye doesn't face any punishment let's just stress that as well he i think will on character says he's a code four leave him leave him alone i don't know what code four is um, but I assume maybe they manufactured some stuff in the mansion and that's where he could put his, um, where Speckles could put the corrupt chips in them or corrupt them right. that way. Um, it doesn't outright say how he did it, just that he was the mastermind secretly yeah. and that he took over the satellites and this was all part of his bring humanity to the knees plan. Yeah, I think there were a lot of little things like that where I, that just kind of slipped past me and I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, this seems over overly complicated. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch it as if I'm a child and be like, that's the bad guy. Um, but then it meant that I was like, oh, Bill Nye's a bad guy, but maybe he's not a bad guy at all. Uh, he's a bad guy, but not the baddest guy. Not the baddest guy. Okay. I, th- I think he's the lesser of two evils. Right. Um, so I think he just wants a total monopoly on the tech game. Um, yeah. Speckles wants to ruin the earth with space debris yeah bill nye just wanted to make a lot of money he just wanted but speckles wanted to kill people yeah yeah it's it's <laughs> it's the classic it's the tailors all the time it's the classic jeff bezos versus elon musk argument uh, right. who's the worst <laughs> multi-billionaire um and the answer is nicholas cage okay um so i hope your aq has been your f your f q to spin you've had a question i hope it's been answered but i'm not confident yeah. <laughs> i'm glad i'm not the only one who wasn't you know fully understanding the whole thing i do feel like they maybe did a bit much with that um so i'm just yeah. i think it's one of those things with it's a kid's film you can just yeah. you're allowed to skimp on the plot yeah. i think um but then but, that's what I mean. They put in too much plot, I feel. And it's like, you could have just stripped this way back. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a lot of stuff that they that the Wibblies tried to... What a name. It's a lot of stuff that the Wibblies tried to cram into 90 <laughs> minutes. And the last 10 minutes of the film is credits, by the way. Yeah. Um, and them all dancing again to the Black Eyed Peas. Um, when God, that film was only 90 minutes long. It felt way longer. Yeah, <laughs> really long. That's also why I picked that. I was like, "Oh, kids' film. That'll be short." And <laughs> it felt very uh, long. You know, all I have to say is, "Hey, I gave you the list, and you've made your decision. I and made now my... here we are." Yeah, I mean, I don't regret. I'm glad. You know what? As I'll stick by what I said. I didn't enjoy the film, but 
surprisingly, I did enjoy Nicolas Cage in it. <laughs> and I think that's possibly the most beautiful way to wrap up the episode. <laughs> film bad, Cage good, because he's never made a bad film, and you can't tell me that he has, because I will fight you. Um, <laughs> so on that note, um, that obviously wonderful note, uh, Charlie Vera Martin, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode covering G-Force. Uh, for the benefit of those listening, uh, where can we find you on them, their social medias? On all, pretty on pretty much everything, uh, I'm Charlie V. Martin. So on Instagram and Twitter, at Charlie V. Martin, Facebook, Charlie Vero Martin Comedy, and I think I, and YouTube, Charlie Vero Martin. Just Instagram and Twitter is probably the easiest. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be lovely to, um, I don't know, chat to people about, g-force or never talk about g-force ever again <laughs> if, if you've got more questions that haven't been frequently asked and they're just cues the fa is gone uh, mm. charlie but love to feel them for you um <laughs> so exactly uh, unless wonderful. you're only g-force i don't want people getting at me for my star wars opinions um star wars no g-force yes moonstruck maybe maybe burlesque maybe always <laughs> <laughs> very very strict guidelines so please heed them at your own caution any of the cage stuff you know that my dms are open and i've got nothing better to do because we're in lockdown um and you're listening to this podcast so don't you look at me like i'm the idiot um <laughs> that great way to end the episode offend your audience lovely stuff i'm keeping it in um so on that ridiculous bombshell um thank you again for listening if you have been, always a pleasure. We'll see you in the next one. We'll be looking at the next uh, voice acting movie for Cage, Astro Boy. It's going to be a good one. Uh, we will see you then, but until then, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Take care. See you next time, and goodbye.